0: Welcome to this episode of Lawrence Talks, a podcast dedicated to exploring local events and introducing philosophical and humanities topics to the general public. I am your host, David Tomez. Today, we continue our coverage of state and local elections. I would like to welcome Democratic candidate for District 3 of the Douglas County Commission, Karen Willey. Karen, thank you for joining me today.
1: Thank you for having me. I'm glad to be here.
0: Yeah, and, and so I'd like... Oh, before we started, we were discussing the pandemic and, and at least, in, in its effect on you getting getting out and meeting people. And, and so, I know there's I, I could think, and at least in, in without having to ask really about it, it but I could I would think that it, it's hard to get around to uh, meeting people and telling them, allowing them to get to know who you are. So I, I want to start this conversation as I have other interviews and discussing. Who you are, the person who Karen Willie really is, and sort of the values and the and the experiences that that you bring to that you would bring to the to position on as a member of the county commission.
1: Well, thank you. I, I, I still find it hard to talk about myself. I always find that awkward. But I'd say I I moved around a lot as a kid, and so when it came time to uh, look at choosing a university, I came to KU because my I had a long family history in Douglas County. And it kind of been you grown up on the stories of you know family history back to 1857 and the generations that were here and then moved on. So like I had not lived here before. But as course it's always interesting to see, you know, the the version of history that we tell ourselves and tell each other and and how that really relates to you know what actually happened in terms of those generations because you know we don't really have heroes exactly. We have people who made choices just like we made choices out of the reality that they knew at the time. And so it's always kind of a mixed a mixed response. So sometimes I think Lawrence and Douglas County especially, we give ourselves kind of a sanitized view of our own history and have a harder time looking at it straight on. So I, I, I came here because I had a history, third generation to go to KU, got my bachelor's degree in environmental studies After trying on, you know, three, four, five different majors before I, mostly in the sciences, a little bit in the humanities, uh, before I settled on something that would honor all the crazy classes I had taken because I, I really just love learning and love uh, eclectic topics, and (laughs) eventually you have to uh, gather those together into a degree. But one of the things that really captured my imagination was uh, a soils geography class that I took. Because I kind of thought of myself as an ecologist through the studying that I had done, and then took this soils class, and it was like the underpinning of all of the ecology that we hadn't talked about. We hadn't gotten to that, so I took that and, and went to grad school in in geography for my Ph.D. and I studied kind of the interaction between soils and grasslands and climates, typically climates of the past, but that kind of you know translates into you know how how soils and grasslands interact now and and with with the future climate change, and and then while I was nearly done with my PhD, I decided it'd be more fun for a while to work in something physical, and so I started building houses with my husband, and we um, and I had something I'd always wanted to learn and never thought I'd have, you know, the, the chance to. So it was uh, something that that uh, he and his brothers had built houses, his brother had built houses together for some time before that, but I so I was new to it, and of course Scott already knew many of those skills but I, I love learning these skills so we we built houses together in uh, Baldwin City and owned those as, as rentals as kind of under market rate kind of with the idea that I'd spent so many years myself as a renter <laughs> that I knew what was what felt affordable to to me in my grad school budgeting days and we kind of kept to that line um so we didn't make much as we should have or could have off of it, but that was where we wanted to be and what we were comfortable with. Own those, maintain those. Um, I ran that for Ber- rentals for quite a while. And then in the meantime, we my husband is a mechanical engineer and we started a business of Houston Machine Works, Inc., building forklifts for the machinery moving industry. We had a home shop here uh, on the farm where we live uh, on Southern Douglas County and built Uh, forklifts here one at a time shipped them all over the country and then sold that product line it was a new product line that uh, we had designed and sold that to another kansas company so um, the business still stayed in the state of kansas which actually felt pretty good too Um, i run um, a farm bluestone farm and it's mostly um kind of either you know sustainable farm uh, it, we're growing food mostly for ourselves, for our neighborhood. I sell a little bit. The point is, you know, financially the point is to break even, but the, the, the real point of the farm is not only to feed us, but to kind of, um, be an experimental plot for what farming can be and what ecological farming can be. And with the idea of modeling techniques that are kind of out there, but maybe on the edge that, that, Aren't that are fairly accessible to our traditional farmers to see if we can move that ecological picture of our of our traditional farmers or our um, commodity farmers move that in a direction that is more sustainable. So I I, I spend a lot of time just problem solving uh, on a variety of levels. We have I have one daughter, Catherine, who is 12 and three quarters going on 12 again because she does not want to be a teenager <laughs> and she's been at Rain Tree Montessori school her whole schooling uh, career and it's a great fit for her because of the, uh, the focus on um, courtesy and care and grace and being good citizens on so many levels. Uh, so there's a lot of things there that, that resonate with us as a family. Um, what else can I tell you about about me?
0: Anything you want you want to share or think is is essential to your worldview and yeah, and how you how you see the world and how you see people. But if that's but if that's if that's if you think you've shared uh, shared that, I think you I think you have. I think we can get a sense of of the things that you that you value. And I, I want to get to the you brought up ecology and and especially in in the sense of farming. I want to get to that as we as we discuss your platform a little bit more.
1: Thank you. I'm sure we will.
0: Yeah, it, it's a very it's very interesting. And I I, I myself am, am I mean it's it's a it's an interesting topic and I think it's one at least that you know, from from the six years that I've been here in Lawrence, I haven't seen that much of discussion in at least in the in the city. And at least that that the I guess the rural concerns of of douglas county and so i definitely want to get that get that on uh, in our discussion yeah but before before we we do delve into that topic i want to also get a sense of your reasons for for running what are the external elements that uh, concern you and have motivated your decision to run in the first place
1: well i'm going to tag back to a little bit of our pre-discussion for the podcast again my real thought of serving started in 2016 with the last election, last presidential election. Mm-hmm. And it was it was a devastating time for us, I think as a country. And it just felt like we were so broken in how we spoke to each other, mm-hmm. that we weren't even dealing with the same set of facts or the same reality. And, and we were just talking past each other if we were talking at all. And I, I just, I was devastated by that. Like, what, what can I do to be a part of healing that? And, you know, look at the national level and thought, I can't, that's beyond what I can do on state level and, and the, the discourse there. But I said, what's, what's the most local, like what's what could I be doing? So I started in my neighborhood and just started inviting people to dinner and people who would not normally have known each other. And I... Run in a lot of different circles anyway because you know I live in a rural area but I am an environmentalist but I grew up in town and so you know I have all of these different circles you know from my you know grad school days or or, or you know rural farming friends yeah so I, I just started drawing these people together and ended up with some really interesting uh dinner parties of people who would never have thought to sit down and talk with each other and and starting with the neighborhood was helpful because in the rural area, I think more so than in town, we we need each other in ways that I think maybe don't happen as much in town. You know, like my cattle are out. It matters that you're close by and that you're you know skilled. It does not matter so much what your philosophy is, you know, what your political views are, right? And so because we have a way and or a reason to need each other, we kind of have a way to break down some of those barriers. So I had, you know, the, the full the full political spectrum of people that would come to dinner and 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 sit around and, and just love on each other and then and then you know fill in as neighbors after the fact once they knew each other too. People that I'm thinking one person in particular that I'm sure had never known a lesbian family and now he wouldn't give them up for anything, you know, and just kind of bridging some of those gaps and say, Sometimes the discussion would go a little off the rails, and we'd be talking about guns, or we'd about you know things that people get really passionate about. And but, but but when it all came down to it, we were all still neighbors, and people were going to look out for, out for each other. So I felt like that was that was something that I could contribute to. And about the same time, I started serving on the planning commission for it's Lawrence and Douglas County. It's a joint city county board, ten members, um, five appointed from the city and five from the county though only two of us actually are from the rural part of the county so that's it's not a requirement that they be rural and we've had you know, so every we've had a variety of people be chair during that time and that that's the person that kind of manages the discussion between the public input and the items that are being discussed and how those discussion items go and it's just seen a variety of ways of handling that and then when it was my turn to be chair it was kind of back to that same thing like we we're trying to not talk past each other. We're trying to honor the people that come to bring their opinion. Um, and some of those, some of those opinions are altruistic and some of those opinions are very, you know, uh, looking for for their own interests and they're allowed to do all of that and they need to be heard. And sometimes it's the first time anyone's interacted with their government and, and you don't want to screw that up. You want people to have, you know, feel like they were heard and have a good experience, even though when it comes down to it, of. Uh, we have to if you know, somebody gets no you know somebody somebody goes away with an answer they did not want or come in for but if you can open up that whole process and let people see that it was thoughtful that they that their voice mattered and that maybe there was some other aspects that they hadn't thought of or a larger community benefit to, to the project that they were there for maybe they learned something too so and I so in my year as chair and of course you know, I'm, we're all learning on the fly, right? We're learning as we go. But I felt like I had some skill with that, and and maybe because I know people with so many different points of view and value them, that 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 I think I, I was able to to kind of give people a process that they could feel secure in, even if they didn't always get the outcome that they liked. So that was that was my starting with my neighbor, my my local. Uh, And neighborhood in the rural area, you know, you know, 10 miles square, you know, (laughs) I don't know. It doesn't necessarily have a real boundary on it. It was just people that I wanted to draw in and then trying to see what that worked like as we do that into the public process. So That's kind of what made me bigger picture think about running.
0: No, I think that's, that's great. I, I, that the idea of bringing so many folks from different walks of life and different perspectives in, in. You get to see at least it's it's my thinking that when you bring those perspectives together to have a, a good conversation and that doesn't really have any i guess any other motive behind it other than getting to know each other and getting to know your neighbor you you get to the root or the, the essential parts of you know why they think a certain way and why they uh, why they view the world they, the way that they do and I always think that's that's an interesting and worthwhile worthwhile um endeavor to take is to is to meet as many people and and to not 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 essentially i sort of dismiss them just based on i guess our our own sort of prejudices about where that may pertain particularly where where someone is from and so i I like that i really like that that you were able to do that and and that sort of gets me it gets into a question about because one thing one thing you have to do as as a county commissioner, is hear people out at, at at the meetings and voice their concerns and voice their sort of reasons for why a certain measure shouldn't be passed or should be passed. But it, at least in some of the some of the conversations that I've noticed around town and in and, and in general, to, in response to how that whole process takes place at the at either the county meetings or the city commission meetings is that there seems to be some disconnect between how the city commission interacts with and has a dialogue with the community. How do you hope to sort of uh, address that concern? And because it seems like even in the space of the, of the meetings, meetings, there's this uh, limited ability on both parts to interact with one another. So how, how, do, you, how do you hope to address that as a, a, as a commissioner?
1: So I have my, my my planning commission experience to go off of because we have similarly we have you know an agenda and and a fairly regimented kind of way of hearing public comment and responding to public comment and part of that's because you know we, we're going to be there four to six hours and way into the <laughs> evening and so so part of it is you know I, as a chair I'm afraid I, I I kind of clung to that a little bit like as a security but but also but just explaining it explaining it every time to make sure that people know that. Uh, this is this is when you'll get the response, not at this time, but at this time, you know, so people know what to expect or know where to go for another conversation or the right conversation. Because sometimes people will come to, like county commission for something that's a city-related item or city commission for something that's a county-related item. And it, it doesn't feel good to be told, well, we can't help with that. You need to say, and here's who can and how you get a hold of them. I think the majority of, of the really important conversations have to happen outside of the meetings where you can have a real conversation. So, I mean, there's certainly there are things that need to be dealt with in the public process and in the public forum only, as far as making decisions. But, but hearing people that takes a lot of time, and it takes time outside of the couple hours of a Wednesday county commission meeting. It's sitting down for a cup of coffee and it's sharing stories. And, and the beauty thing about beautiful thing about what I think of as storytelling is that. There's no judgment in that. Somebody's story is somebody's story. Where they're coming from is important and is valuable and the way they see the world and what they've experienced as a person and and meeting them where they are for that and hearing that out. And we as a culture don't do that enough. We don't give people the chance to tell their stories. Uh, And I think that that's something that we could be more intentional about. I don't just mean on a government level. I just mean on a community level. Of, of setting up times where we sit down, shut up, and hear from somebody that has a different story than we have, and that we're not trying to write it for them as they're speaking or speak against them or anything. So, in, in terms of public engagement, that that within a, within the meeting, like a county commission meeting, and I'm going off of you know, my own experience with with planning because it's similar. It, it is pretty regimented because we have an agenda to get through. So the agenda items that are there, people can speak on that, and then. We can deal with that item, but we also have like this open public comment time where people can speak, you know, speak to that body to the planning commission or county commission, city commission. They all do that. We all kind of got where we were trying to operate in a more similar fashion, but that's not really a time for response. And and so long as you explain that 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 we have to we have to find another time to respond to this, or we have to work on it, or we have to you know direct the staff to come up with. Some more information so we can have a full discussion that kind of thing it, it really takes explaining you know what that what that comment time is and then and then having those conversations at a time that can be more healthy more productive more open-ended probably than than what that time is so i guess what i'm saying is either any of those three commissions they have this time for public comment that's not related to the agenda items which means if it wasn't published in the agenda they can't, by law, make any decisions on that without publishing that in the agenda for a future date. And so there's this kind of tension between what the community wants feedback from in the immediate term and what, by law, with Open Meetings Act, the, the commissions are allowed to do. It just takes it just takes a lot of explanation to make sure that, that people know what they want what what time they're being given and what can and can't happen in that particular form. But then it takes the follow-up because that's what our elected officials are for. It's not just to show up for the meeting when the decisions are made. It's to hear from the people the rest of the time. And that's why I think of it as a full-time job and not just something you can show up and, and, and do on a Wednesday afternoon. But But that public engagement is the part that takes time when I was chair of planning commission and we were working on the plan twenty forty, which is the comprehensive plan for the city and the for the city of Lawrence and the unincorporated rural area, I spent a lot of time just meeting with people that we knew we didn't have enough time to hear from them in the public forum and we needed to sit down and, and have a, a bit be, a better conversation. So that just working through that was probably close to a halftime job. And that was a volunteer position. So so definitely the county commission requires just the time and the hours put in listening to the community so that they feel heard and so that they are heard because we can't move forward with only our own ideas we can't just stay in our echo chamber we have to hear from the community it's only we will move forward
0: and and on a related note and this is this is actually one of the written questions i had for you public opinion is as we know one of the first and most important checks on on power and and sort of helping direct where the community goes, uh, at least in in terms of governance, at the same time there's there maybe is a, a fine balance between respecting a public opinion while also making considerations your own sort of considerations or your own so, sort of judgments about what you should do in a certain case. So how do you hope to balance? those two concerns of respecting public opinion while also doing what you think is the, the, the right thing to do in a case.
1: So public opinion is a funny thing, because how do you know when you've had it? Is it only the voices that are loud? Is it only the voices that show up? Um, because there's a certain amount of privilege in being able to have the technology to be in on Zoom or having the time frame or the transportation to be there in a public forum. I'm always aware of or try to always be aware of who's not here, who did we not hear from, and and keep those voices. And and the part of that is ha- having those voices in government is especially important. Having those voices in the uh, community boards that provide information and policy proposals to the government is also important. I I kind of supplement my own experiences, which are are fairly varied. For one person, just I've done a lot of strange things in my career-wise. But I, I also supplement that by just these you know, friends that feel like family and family that feel like friends. Like you, you, you kind of put your feelers out into the community through other people's life experience too when you like live life along with other people. And so that kind of gets me out of my personal well, privilege bubble too or my age bubble or my race bubble and to, to, to move beyond that and say, okay, but I, I have this person in my life that I love and care for. And this is their life experience and that informs me also. So so keeping an keeping an ear out for the voices we're not hearing is, is very valuable. Mm-hmm. And and it's hard to it's hard to show that you've done that too, because you know you there's a, there's a public record of who spoke to you in a public meeting. There's no record of who didn't show up. Right. Um I can tell you we can get straight white retired people to show up and give public comment at a planning commission meeting all day long. Um, And when I have somebody, a person of color or, or, or somebody who shows up with their kids and it's just like, Oh, thank you for being here. Like all this time we've needed you. (laughs) So, I mean, age is probably the one that we, we see the the most because of of the time it takes to, to be involved. So I I can give a little, I can give an example of kind of a, a practical Side of, of of weighing public opinion versus what may have felt more of a correct thing to do. One of the one of the items that came forward to the planning commission was of the uh, Rebecca Buford from Tenants to Homeowners had asked for a te- text amendment, so a change to the policy, to look at allowing uh, two houses on one lot for affordable housing. And it's a situation or a, a Program that they have where the land is owned by homeowners, but the houses themselves are sold for for them. They they can do a reduced rate for uh, two two individual homeowners, Mm -hmm. and it's something our code didn't allow. And the question was, would we allow it at all? Would we allow it by right, Uh, or would we make each lot go through a public process uh, where the neighborhood would get to weigh in? And I can tell you that the public comment that we had. Uh, these are not especially popular in the neighborhood <laughs> um, because there's a lot of fear around who might be in affordable housing, and you know, and and is that you know are those are those the neighbors we think we're supposed to have or not? I mean, there's a lot of this prejudice that weighs in, and there's fear, right. um, and and in ways that that are, are many times you know not not true, not you know not true to fact or not fair, uh, or certainly a, a, a you know prejudging the, the situation. And so we, we, we heard a lot of public comment of people who did not want this to happen and do not want it to happen by right. But we felt like this, we have such a problem with affordable housing in our community uh, on a variety of levels, both the market rate housing and all the way down to subsidized housing and programs that we can do with that. City of Lawrence has a new sales tax that uh, we have the Affordable Housing Advisory Board trying to figure out how to spend that money in the best way possible. And this was one piece of that puzzle. And we felt that it was, we, the commission, and I, I don't remember what the vote was or you know if it was unanimous or not, but I, we, we, I think there was good agreement that even though the neighborhoods didn't necessarily want this uh, and, and as a blanket statement or on a case-by-case basis, that we felt this was a, a value to our community and to the voices that we weren't hearing.
0: Mm-hmm. And
1: so we went forward with it. That's one of those situations where I think uh, I think we made the
0: right call, and I think affordable housing is one of the things I'd like to touch on as well. But this next question has to do with something I've noticed. I think talked about a lot, a great deal in in these in these in the forums and the, the debates and the conversations that have been taking place so far is the attention to data gathering, data sharing, and data analysis. As you as you may know, uh, in, or you may have come across in your time as uh, in your PhD in geography, gathering the data or, or data sharing and the data itself is just part of an, part of one aspect of answering what sort of prescriptions we should we should adopt in certain certain cases. The I, the hard part, I would think, or f- often find to be the case, is connecting the data to certain. To certain prescriptions, to certain actions and and policies, and the way because the way we do that is a consideration of values and a consideration of of what we ought to be pursuing and what we ought to be doing, and and so that's that's a much sort of a different question than simply what uh, what we get with the data. So so this question is about what sort of values do you hope to represent in your decisions as you interpret. Uh, the data that, that you gather as a city commissioner,
1: county commissioner,
0: Co- uh, sorry. Yeah. County.
1: <laughs> I'm not eligible to run in the city. Y- you're right that I, I, I think like a scientist, I like to look at data. I like to crunch it in different ways and look at the statistics and, and ask questions from the data set. Right. I like to see people do that. Well, <laughs> there's certainly as, you know, as we know, anyone who's dealt with data, there are certainly ways to to do it badly too. And and so, trying to extract information that is true for the questions that are being asked from the data, which is not the same. You know, just just casting it out for 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 open interpretation isn't always necessarily the most helpful. I do think that it's important both to have an internal understanding of that data of how we analyze that data. So I'm thinking in particular, our criminal justice data, and we have a new statistician that's been hired in the last year to, to uh, first of all, look at how 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 strong is the data set? Are we collecting the right data? Which, of course, no, we haven't always been. So then how do you deal with the data set that's been collected in a variety of different ways, which anytime you've been a scientist, you've dealt with that of uh, trying to, trying to you know, find out how good your data set is to begin with. Uh, but I also think it's important to get outside perspectives too. So uh, I I think the county's done both, uh, and and has been criticized for not doing having enough outside voices, or or even maybe for having for hiring someone to be an inside voice, which I think is uh, hugely valuable because the turnaround time and and this the flexibility of being able to as a commission pitch these questions and ask these questions of the data and say you know look at this for us we want this. Uh, and being able to get that, uh, I think it's a really good investment to have somebody, and he's really good too, to have somebody on staff that that is doing that. And also just setting us on a right path for how we collect the data moving forward to answer the questions that we want to ask. So in terms of uh, it, not sure how to put the values part of it on there and say, you're more the philosopher and I'm more the uh, boots on the ground, problem solving type. <laughs> so uh, yeah, and and I would talk about openness with that data. Maybe I'm not sure about the data itself, how much, how open that can be. I do have, a, I have real concerns about privacy and what we do with people's data because these are collected from real people and their real lives at their worst moment and sometimes. So, you know, health data certainly has some, um, you know, federal restrictions on how that can be used and shared. But the county... Through, through, through very and very rightly so, is trying to work on uh, programs that help providers of mental health, providers of physical health, providers of uh, substance use health, h- how they can share data about their clients to make sure that people are getting connected to k- the care that they need. But there's also some tricky things there in terms of privacy of how much can be shared and how much people want shared and how much autonomy do people have over their own data for how that. Gets out there, but connecting people to care has been a, a a big part of I think how our county wants to move forward with kind of individualizing how we see people and you know their struggles with housing or struggles with uh, criminal justice or struggles with substance use, seeing people as a whole person, and yet we offer services from a variety of of uh, organizations and making sure that those services are that the that people are getting services where they're needed and, and not being bounced around unnecessarily, you know, that they kind of get directly to that. Um, so, in terms of, of, of how we use data, I would say one of the values would definitely be the openness of it, but the other would be just to, to be aware of the, the the people behind the data and what did they want done with it. Mm. What 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 honors the individuals that are represented by that?
0: This next this next question has more to do with because another conversation that's taking place at least generally about the relationship and the communication with the different government offices, uh, whether it's the city, the, uh, the county, and it's 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 ju- the other sort of justice involved offices like the DA's office, the sheriff's office, and. Not just with the county jail, but I think uh, generally there's uh, there seems to be this perception that there's maybe a breakdown in and those in all those offices communicating with one another, at least to in terms of accomplishing the sort of the goals that the cu- the community has identified as as essential and and important. So I can ask here: do you do you find that the relationship between those offices to be not broken, but just sort of uh, there seems to be this this lack of of concerted communication between them and um if so how do we how do we fix that how do you hope to fix that
1: so yeah i i think there's been some real brokenness between city and county commission and between the city and county's staff maybe at, at the administrative levels in the past i do think we're kind of maybe two steps forward one step back i think working on that the uh, so we have a, a new city manager and a new county administrator within a relatively short period of time who almost immediately jumped into, well, within a year, half or so of being here, um, jumped into this unified command structure where they were managing a pandemic together. And I think they have a good relationship, but we've been lacking that. So just that that high-level administrative staff, taking each other's phone calls, getting together, <laughs> having a good relationship is a, is a really sound start. I also think they're meeting with the... Uh, uh, dr lewis superintendent of schools for uh, lawrence starting to meet regularly with him also trying to make sure that kind of the heads of these big organizations are spending time together and, and and building relationship city and county commission have have had some tiffs in the past and part of that comes down to there are some you know the city of lawrence is a pretty big entity within the county douglas county and so it's kind of hard to know you know there's there's a lot of Kind of power back and forth, uh, and and some of it comes down to the um, city-county operating agreements. There are a variety of written documents about how they share funding for certain projects or responsibility for certain projects that are joint, and and some of them are big. Like Lawrence Douglas County Fire Medical is a joint, so the the city the city runs the fire response for the city of Lawrence and the county runs the ambulance response, medical response for the city of Lawrence and everywhere else in the county also. So the county owns the ambulance ambulances and the city owns the fire trucks, but they all go out together. So who pays for what, right? And these agreements were written quite a while ago and they haven't really been looked, haven't been brought back to the table since because and they're so tense because, I, and, and that's gonna be part of what I get to do on <laughs> the county commission. Yeah, that's my my plan between november and january is to sit down and read through these things and then start having meetings with with people because they've tried to bring them to the table and it's been incredibly frustrating for both sides and the county's not going to win all of them the county's not going to lose all of them but there's probably going to be some major restructuring and it's hard to have those relationships between the city and county until we've kind of cut our teeth on some of these things and made some progress because I think there's just a lot of frustration that the progress hasn't been made on those. So um, there are any number of those agreements. And I, like I said, I'll get to spend some time on that this winter uh, figuring out what those are and what, what could possibly be tackled, you know, one at a time to, to, to start making some progress there. I think in terms of the the community, that there isn't a lot of understanding about who does what because in the city of Lawrence, it feels like they have two governments. Well, they, they kind of do. They have two governments here. So they have you know, the city commission and they have this county commission, and they're not sure who does what or where they overlap. And so I think there gets to be frustration amongst uh, citizens who, you know, if they, they're told, no, no, we don't do that. That's the other commission. I think that's a very frustrating answer to get. So there has to be probably some outreach and education about what each body does. You had talked also about not just city county, but within these other county elected officials. And you mentioned specifically around uh, criminal justice partners. Mm. Um, So we, so they gather as the criminal justice coordinating council. And it's a member of the city commission, county commission, uh, the DA, the sheriff, and and the Lawrence Police Department, KU, Safety, Baldwin, and Eudora, police chiefs also. So it's, and and other players there so we have and members of the community too that are you know members on that board to bring other perspectives and that's been going on for about four years and did not exist before so people that were working on the different aspects of our criminal justice system really had no formal communication with each other before that and that's the aim that kind of floors me that 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 this was a new idea <laughs> and and there are, there are only two in the state of Kansas. We have one in Johnson County has one huh. and it's really spent the last four years, I think, kind of building that relationship. And so they're only just now, I think, getting to a part where a point where they can start having the more difficult conversations and the places where the, the next step of work on, on criminal justice might overlap between more than one office And not to say they haven't done anything and they have, but I think that it's been somewhat cautious because these were fairly new relationships and people who, you know, elected officials that don't have power over each other, they are all kind of stand there as equals. And same thing with the county commission. They have no real direct power over the sheriff or the district attorney or the register of deeds, you know, that these are all elected officials also. And that's what makes the county such a collaborative entity and why collaboration and relationship are so important in there because county commission has fairly limited real power, it's limited to the budget, which is no small thing. Mm-hmm. We have a direct authority over uh, rural land use decisions and we will be running a rural fire department starting in January, as that's being restructured under the county. Also half, about half of the rural area will fall under that uh, fire department. All the rest of it is about convening the conversation and directing the conversation and 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 that's where the real work I think of a county commissioner comes is in in having those relationships and conversations and kind of putting your values forward for how we move forward as a community
0: one of the and I want to now spend some time talking about the particular policies or issues that you want to confront as as a county commissioner. <laughs> uh, and one of them is is involves reducing health disparities between populations based on race and income. Could you speak, I guess, a little bit to uh, one what currently stands in 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 the way or is leading to that uh, to these disparities, and how do you hope to attack these disparities, or how do you uh, hope to dissolve them?
1: So, of all the uh, topics on my webpage, <laughs> some of those can be resolved with. Uh, you know some work and effort and some of those are going to be long-term big picture policies. <laughs> so we have a health equity report that was put out by Lawrence Memorial Hospital and other partners that shows in Douglas County that we have disparities in our health outcomes, uh, especially along lines of race. Poverty also, but the one I think that that we really kind of catches my attention is the disparities uh, about race. Mm-hmm. You got to a question about the data earlier, and this is one where I think we now that we have this we have the data set that shows us that we have you know, health outcomes that are different across different races and especially poorer for African-Americans. When we deal with systemic racism and kind of the implicit bias, kind of these underlying issues in the system, in the various systems across our county, I think this is where we see what the outcomes are. So I, when I look at that, at the, the at the um, health disparities, I see the stress of racism as being one of the main causes. And that can be not just one person's stress or one generation's stress, but kind of the compounding effects of, of, of systemic racism from generation to generation to generation, kind of creating these, these poor health outcomes for people. So... I think it takes generations to get here. I think it may take generations to work ourselves out of it. Um, but we will we will know when we've gotten there, when we can can run this same analysis and say the health outcomes are the same for everyone, which tells me then that the stress level is is the same for everyone. this is this is this is a big picture problem, but I think it's important for us to all recognize this as our reality frankly I've had some I've had this on my literature and I've had some questions about it people saying how can that be so you know it's you know wh- wh- what could that possibly be and and I think that there's just having those community conversations to say that racism exists that racism is real that racism doesn't have to be overt <laughs> to be damaging you know that it can be these microaggressions and and th- th- that play out and just you know, just knock you, you know, step again and again. And, and so creating, creating that that, that long-term um, stress or trauma. So that's really what I see with this as we have to keep our eye on it as a community. We have to keep it in our minds as a community. But to, But moving that needle is going to take a long time because the work that we do won't necessarily be on health specifically. There will be some work there, but the work will be on housing, <laughs> or access to technology, which is now access to education, right? Now, all of a sudden, they're one and the same. Food access, healthy food access, transportation, just the things that, all the ways that we're able to fracture as a society for the haves and have-nots to, 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 to work on those, what I think of as upstream issues, the things that are upstream to the health outcomes or upstream to criminal justice involvement. That's where, you know, on the prevention side of things, I think that's where the dollars are best spent and the focus is best given. So, so keeping an eye to what can our health outcomes become and how can those be more equitable, I think the work will be done in other places to see that result change. Does that make sense?
0: Yeah, so I, I guess from what you just said, it sounds like it, it's not just a something that the county commission itself can tackle on its own, um, but it's something that it, uh, will require community wide conversations and community wide uh, involvement in in addressing and in tackling. Is that is that right?
1: I think community conversations of, around race are going to be so key to moving forward on, on anything because you know we can't have a, a police department that deals with you know that that tackles implicit bias if our community doesn't and we can't have you know housing policy that tackles implicit bias if our community doesn't and the way i think is best to do that is to goes back to that storytelling and and just meeting people where they are and hearing hearing their stories and you know, just sitting back and listening so that we're all dealing with kind of the same reality around race not that not that we're all going to be living it the same or experiencing it the same but that we that we know it <laughs> that we you know we know it the same and because I think for a long time and you know, I started having these conversations you know, when I when I filed the run this was one of the things I wanted to do was to talk to people about race and it was it you know, often very awkward conversations and now I find that people are more open so We've had this kind of community awakening and we have to use this moment, right? That uh, people for, for a time are, are are willing to maybe look at that when I'm thinking white people in particular. So white people who didn't want to talk about race before are now starting to see that, oh, this was all going on and I just wasn't paying attention. You know, they're, they're starting to be willing to have, have that part of conversation. And it's a moment that we have to capture and keep that momentum and keep those conversations and not have people feel like, okay, well, we're, we're done with that. You know, I, I I figured it out. Um, but, but but to really just keep, keep on a learning trajectory. And there's a lot of, I think, shame that comes with realizing how much privilege we've enjoyed, (laughs) but we also can't, people aren't, don't stay in a creative space when they're, when they're in in a place of shame. So we have to acknowledge that acknowledge privilege, And then also move on with grace and kind of keep keep those conversations going.
0: I'm not sure where we started with that conversation, but no, no, that's that's good. No, I I think I think you're right in the in the sense that it tackling racial disparities and and income disparities. Well, they're they're very well connected, and it's going to take a holistic and long view sort of uh, response and and. At least now that it's on on the conscious minds of everyone in the community, hopefully so one of the issues I found uh, in in these conversations about about race and in the, tackling these disparities is that for some reason or another, we stop talking about them and and hopefully we can one i guess one thing that we could do to to address these disparities is to always have them on our minds and and talking about them and making sure that they don't. that we don't lose sight of or uh, and consciousness of one that that there are these disparities and two that conversations need to be ongoing
1: and kind of the other the, the flip side of that too is as we give race the attention that it needs to have in our community conversations we also can't lose sight of all the other equity work too so people dealing with mental health concerns the lgbtqia community. Uh, people with, you know, physical health concerns. I mean, there there are a lot of haves and have-nots in our community that aren't that aren't strictly around race. And it's, I think, the way we operate, we want to be focused on one thing at a time. And yet, equity just kind of is this blanket. Like we need we need to move forward for everybody. Race, in particular, needs discussion. And I think in the criminal justice world, I think it's um, a lot of that is for um, African Americans in particular. It needs to have that attention and that discussion because of the just the history we have with our judicial system. But the equity work has to be ongoing for everybody too. So it's you know it's tricky. We we people have only a certain amount of bandwidth to give to you know local policy. <laughs> uh, trying to keep all things front and center is is really hard. But we that, that's that's the job, right? Is to um, to consider um, the needs of the whole community.
0: Um, yeah, I, I think I think people this is this is something that come out has come out in other conversations uh, with not just the, in this election, but I think in the prior because we've we've had these conversations. I've had these recordings and interviews before with when the city commissioners were up for election. And one of the sentiments that was shared by most, if not all, the commissioners run, or the folks running was that people show up for. For I guess, for lack of a better better phrase, as uh, the the sexy topics or the the topics that you know seem for some for some reason or another are viewed as more controversial than others, but they don't show up for I guess the what may not seem as as interesting topics or uh, discussions on policy with to these to these meetings. Do you find that to be I guess an issue too? Is, is that there's this there's this lack of attention to Things that maybe on their face for some reason that don't seem all that controversial or important, but can have very sh- important implications into how, how we tackle some of these other these other concerns of, regarding race and, and, and poverty.
1: I see you regarding everything. You know, I've been in a lot of county commission meetings where I'm the only person in the room who doesn't work for the county. Mm. You know, I, <laughs> there's nobody there. And, and yet I mean, you can turn around and have, you know, a vote on the jail and have a room full of people in standing room only. But before they had that vote on the jail, there were multiple, multiple times where we had, they had full discussions with a variety of stakeholders that were talking about the the problems at hand or the, or what had been tried before, or, you know, the meetings of the criminal justice coordinating council are not well attended. And that, so I I've tried to, to go to everything and learn. And if I, if I, if I'm, if I don't know enough, then I'll call them on the phone and, and ask again and, and spend time really learning it because the, the engagement, you know, when people only want to show up for what you call the sexy issues, you know, when they want to show up when something is controversial, but they're showing up without the background information that went into it in the first place. Mm-hmm. And and that just gets to be toxic because people are coming forward with a solution and their solution is based on the three things they heard about it, which are a drop in the bucket to the real issues at hand. And and that's frustrating for the people who didn't feel heard because they brought they brought a solution that they felt solved the problem but they didn't they didn't take the time to learn the whole problem or the whole situation and then you have you know professional people who are working very hard to uh, you know with, with with the full picture and and being told that they're not doing it right by people who didn't bother to show up and learn the rest of it, but it, it takes, it takes a lot of time to learn that. And I've, I've put the time in because I knew I was going to run and wanted to do that. Well, and wanted to be ready to serve well and wanted to, to be able to ask the right questions before I was in a position where I was making decisions. So, so that's the other side of it is who has the time to be so well-informed on every topic. You just have to kind of pick and choose.
0: So, I mean, it, it sounds like for, for people to have that I guess, disposition to, to be informed, they have to act like they're running for office.
1: <laughs> and that's too high a bar for, for people. I mean, people still need, they still need to be heard and they still need to bring their perspective to their government. So, and it, and there's no requirement that that perspective be fully informed. There really, there isn't. You have to hear from everybody and they're, and fully informed, maybe fully informed on a different set of topics than what, what was known about, you know, so it still is important information to bring forward and i i don't mean that as, as a criticism just that you know that 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 often there is so much more backstory than, than what can be dealt with than what can be learned really before before you're coming to it it's, it takes it's a big democracy just takes so much time
0: <laughs> no i, I agree and and i get, at least the hope is that each even if it's not uh, every opinion even if the opinion is not as informed as you would like maybe it has a grain of truth uh, to it uh, that we can maybe take up and at least address in, in some way
1: and and maybe it and maybe something that wasn't known you know because the county can the, the people that meet together and make decisions together can also form their own echo chamber and hear themselves you know echoing back and so the outside voices are are a requirement It's yeah, you know, that's 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 part of the puzzle is <laughs> and that's what keeps it in check too is and, and it's the responsibility of, of voters and citizens to be informed. It's also the responsibility of the government to be open and transparent and get that information out to the citizens so that it's not hard to be informed.
0: Right. And and so I want to, because I, I think taking up a great deal of your time already, but I want to address one other at least one other policy issue or initiative that you want to take up, and that's exploring new markets for, for family farming in, in Douglas County. Now, I don't know too much about farming generally and, and and especially farming in and uh here in lawrence so what sort of i guess in, impediments are there to to family farming reaching out to new markets and how do you hope to, to address that in as county county commissioner
1: sure we have douglas county has a wide variety of farms and farming types and family farms and and so i guess for this i want to focus on kind of our commodity farmers which are, they farm larger acres, large equipment, uh, a lot of debt, and the economics there are just dire. And how people get up and go to work and do this work day in and day out for the returns, sometimes negative returns on, on their investments. It's, it's, it's incredible the, the, the character and the fortitude of people that, that do this work. Um, so those are the farmers I want to talk about here for the moment. And so mostly in Douglas County it's corn and soybeans are the commodity crops, occasionally wheat, a few others, but, but for the most part, corn and soybeans kind of rule the day. And so the markets for those are commodity markets only. And because you, you know, you, so you deal with it as a commodity, it, it can go and get mixed in with everybody else's, you know, corn or soybean product it can go to your local elevator and, and or co-op elevator and be sold there uh, because you've got to be able to get those trucks emptied in a short amount of time to come back and get the next one because you only have a limited time to get out of the field before you lose your crop to the rain or the frost or whatever. So, so, when, so when international markets shut down, that is something that's totally outside of, of the control of your local farmers, but they suffer for it. So the, the prices they get for their crops are dismal. None, most of us wouldn't do it wouldn't work wouldn't keep working for that right but there so so and and the the corn and beans corn and soybeans cycle is not also the healthiest for our environment either that <laughs> requires a fair amount of um, chemical input fertilizer and and, and 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 they use a lot of herbicides in in those traditional or um, commodity markets of farming also so there's kind of an an, an, an environmental sensitivity and a financial sensitivity and strangely enough, they can have some of the similar solutions. So moving farmers forward with um, another crop that they can put in the rotation actually makes their soils a lot healthier or getting cover crops in, which are a a non-cash crop that you plant out just strictly to heal the soil, to heal your soil microbiome, which is connected health-wise to our own gut microbiome, is actually a, a really strong connection between that. So human health Ties in with this also. So having, but having a market for either grazing animals that can come in and graze those cover crops, which also helps heal the soil. And by healing the soil, you're making it so that ecology is doing more of the work than chemistry. Right. So you don't have to pay to put chemistry down. You can instead, you can uh, put inputs in that, that support the the ecology of the soil, and that will give you much of the same boost and more, and and build Soil carbon, so we can actually take carbon out of the air, store it in our soils. Better for climate change, also much more resilient for our soils, for our farmers, for our, for their bottom line, for their economic feasibility. This is just there's a win-win-win to be had there. But they but there's some kind of technical hurdles to get over for our farmers to change from one paradigm of farming to another paradigm of farming, okay. and. There are ways that the county can be supportive of that to you know, help get that education out there. And we have organizations that, that do help with that and they, they need some more you know uh, county support to move forward with that. But even offering another not quite commodity crop, something a little more specialty crop that Douglas County could produce would help our soil health tremendously. But they're just we, we have to have an outlet for it. You have to have some place to take it at the end of harvest that's close by. So I don't see that the county is going to you know, run any kind of business like that, but could certainly be supportive of either a private business or a co-op business or an existing business that would be willing to expand to take another crop like sunflowers, <laughs> sunflower seeds you know, for sunflower oil or canola or something like that, because it actually breaks a lot of the disease cycles to have another crop in the rotation than that otherwise you'd have to use chemicals then to to disrupt that pest cycle. So they're just they're ways to use ecology that make our farms more resilient, make our farms more profitable, work us forward in in terms of sequestering carbon to do our part. Climate change, there's just a lot of acres out here in Douglas County that could be working in, in our favor and, and it just it needs some support. It needs a champion at the county commission to make that happen
0: have you have you spoken to other other farmers for their input on i guess bringing these sort of changes to to their farms and and if so what what have their responses been
1: So I talk about this a lot (laughs) and I go to a lot of farm conferences and sometimes you have to go outside of your neighborhood to be, you know, well heard with some of these things. And because I am a a woman in farming, which is also still fairly rare, people don't expect me to be a normal farmer. They don't expect me to make normal decisions. So they already, you know, they've kind of worked past that, right? They they know I'm going to do things differently and they've been fairly accepting of me even so because I am a city girl who had no previous knowledge about farming. I came to this as an ecologist and, and soil ecology is what I wanted to do with the farming. Like raising food was like, it was a close second, right? But I I was, I was uh, working on, on my farm ecology. And so, so I was already an, an odd duck when I came here, but I have some really great relationships with my local farmers because I knew things that they didn't know. And they knew a lot that I didn't know. So I started for the first few years just tagging along like, hey, I'll come do chores with you if you just talk to me about what you're doing and why. And so building the relationship first before I ever said, do you ever think about trying it this way? You know, because I was coming from book learning and they were coming from, you know, a a knowledge base of of practicality. And that's a pretty strong relationship, really, if you can have both. So, um, so I've, I've, we've come a long ways since some of my neighbors and I, it's still, it's a tough sell because the, the, because there's so little money in farming. So we have to be able to make some of these changes profitable sooner. They're profitable in the long run. Um, and I go to conferences, um, all around the state and elsewhere that, that have people that are doing this and, and making really and making good money with it. And they say, it's it's fun again. You know, it's more fun to work with nature than it is to work against nature. It's more satisfying. I find better luck talking to not the young farmers, but the 50 or 60 year old farmers who have maybe lost their dads. And so there isn't that generational pressure. Mm. They're, they're thinking more about what legacy are they leaving for their kids with the land than trying to farm like dad did there's a lot of peer pressure in farming that i'm not susceptible to because i don't come from a farming background and i am outside of the farmer mold in a lot of ways and so um i don't feel that pressure in the way other people do but it's real and it's pretty intense
0: there there's a there's a lot there that is really interesting to me because there's you mentioned the connection between what i guess in, in philosophy we call theoretical reasoning and, and practical reasoning. And and how I guess over the over I guess over the years of the progression of our individual fields, there's been this disconnect between both of them. Connecting our theories, our theories to actual practical uh, application, and the fact that you've been able to do that uh, at least to some degree is is very cool, very very interesting to me at least. But I we can have that conversation on a because yeah, it's it is an interesting uh, topic, but. One thing I, I do want to do, one of the last few things I want to discuss with you is, I guess, what sort of metric do you would you like to set for yourself at least in terms of uh, what you think is fair or fair or what you would want others uh, when it comes to the end of your term for you to be elected in evaluating your time your time in office. What sort of things do they would you find? Uh, you would want people to judge you by.
1: I hope that people would give me the grace to see that I am human and that I come to this out of a heart of service and with humility and wanting to both learn and give back to my community. You can't make everybody happy and I don't expect to make everybody happy. I hope to hold to my own values and feel that by whatever metric I may be judged (laughs) after having served in office, I hope that as I judge my own time, that I am satisfied that I did what was right to the best of my ability, to the best of the knowledge that I was able to gain at the time. I think, I think the metric that I, how the community judges me will be their choice, I guess. I'm, I can really only be accountable for, to my, myself for that. I mean, accountable to the community, but I'm, as far as like how that legacy is left, I'm, I'm not sure that anyone who does anything real gets a clean record in the eyes of the community because people don't tend to give their leaders that kind of grace. They they hold them to too high of a of a standard and then make sure that they fail. <laughs> so I I I think people should recognize just how hard it is to lead, how hard it is to serve and value on you know, to, to to whatever end people do that, you know, value that they intended to do well. <laughs> and I just I just hope that people would would see the record with grace and 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 understand that um, holding to my values is the most important thing. Holding to the values that the community holds. Um, hearing from people these are valuable to me, but it's it's I guess it's anybody's guess how that will actually be seen, how that will play out.
0: Well, uh, before I, I let you go, Karen, is there anything that? you would like our listeners to take away from our from the conversation we've had? Uh, anything that you, I guess you want to summarize or maybe mention that we weren't, uh, in terms of what we weren't able to fully discuss today?
1: Well, the the three topics that I set out to talk about for my campaign were equity, economics, and environment. And we've talked a little bit about equity. We've talked a little bit about environment. We haven't talked as much about economics. It's, one of those topics that's maybe not sexy, (laughs) but more so in a pandemic when we have, you know, really high unemployment and we have people that are, are, we had, so when I started wanting to run on on this topic, we knew we had some real vulnerabilities in our economy and that we were too heavily reliant on service, too heavily reliant on KU as a single employer. Uh, We, as a community, and this is city county, both tend to be, uh, a, a little too hard on businesses and 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 what we want from them, and we want them to be perfect, kind of like we want our leaders to be perfect, and and it doesn't it doesn't allow for kind of the vibrant economy that I think we could have because we have really highly creative and highly educated population in Douglas County, and and I think we could be doing more to diversify our economy. So I expected to be talking about. Um, businesses and small businesses and growing businesses and and how we remove some of the barriers to be able to make them have them able to to thrive here in Douglas County and want to stay here but we will instead talking a lot about how we do that while also recovering from a a pretty significant uh, recession we don't know how deep that's going to go so uh, safety net services will be very important to maintain because keeping people from suffering that that next level of, of problems in housing or your social problems that come from you know not having enough enough you know, economic stability. We need to keep people as stable as possible to and then push through this uh, through this recession so that we can regain an economy, a new economy that is you know more resilient, more diversified, and more equitable, so that we're not you know, fracturing along the same lines that we always do with the have's and have nots we we have a real opportunity to to push for more living wage jobs to push for more high tech jobs that you know honor the community that we have here with a highly educated population so i i think that the economic piece will be will be very important for the next commission uh, there'll be a lot of really tough budget decisions where we won't be able to say yes to everybody and uh, and, and shouldn't say yes to everybody because the, the tax burden is also an issue for for the county, during you know, especially in a recession. So we, we have a lot of work to do on, on all of those fronts, on the equity front, on the economics front, and on the environmental front, which we talked about the farming piece of it. There's more going on with that too, as we'll be writing a our county climate change plan in the next year and a half or so, Um, So I'd be very interested to both hear from the community what the thoughts are there, but also kind of give some leadership to that process as we move forward too. And the county open space program, which will go through, I think, the same public process. I think they're going to run those together through our sustainability office um, to see if there are new and better and creative ways to to preserve our, our native spaces. We have just so few native prairies and native woodlands left. And the ecology that exists there is what we need to help model what should what our farms should look like, what our human health should be like. Uh, there are lessons to be learned from those small parcels of land left, and we just can't lose any more of them. They're just the gems. We need to be modeling the rest of our land off of that.
0: Well, Karen, before before we. Officially sign off. If people want to know more about Karen and, and her platform, uh, you can go to her website, Karen Willie for County Commission Again, that's Karen Willie for County Commission com. With that, Karen, I, I really want to thank you for joining me in this conversation today and and discussing the components of of your your platform and how you hope to approach your role as as county commissioner.
1: Thank you, David. I've appreciated it too.
0: And uh, thank you all for joining us, and we'll see you next time on the next episode of Lawrence Talks.